Welcome to Thick Boy Fight Club. I'm your Balkan boy. I'm Tyson the Beast. And our guest today is Matt, the Koi Fish Prophet, Ian. Before we get started, we got to thank our sponsors. First and foremost, Top Mutt Studios. Um, Bearded Bites, Kangen Water, Blessed. Shout out our girl, Blessed Edibles. Um, just for Kicks. Just for Kicks. Major Pack. Major Pack. Kimura. Kimura Wear, Mo Mind. Who am I missing? You said Top Mutt Studios, right? Yeah. We got some hate these days. Thank you for uh, all the support. What's the her Oh, little... S'mores Bars. S'mores Bars. If you want. Not calling them anymore? Spores. Spores bars. I messed up. It's only been like three months. It's only been like three months. We've only been doing this like all year. (laughs) (laughs) We're only here every week. Uh, And Thick Boy boy restaurant shout out for me. Um, I found a new spot. I was like coming back from downtown after training. And um, there's this new spot open, Sina Persian Grill on Eglinton and Avenue. And it was like real authentic. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, embarrass myself, some of the names of the food, but. They had like this chicken stew with walnut and pomegranate. It was made. It was like delicious. So see now Persian Grill. Check it out. Brand new uh, restaurant. Mine is going to be for my my homegirl, Fallon. Uh, it's a spot in Etobicoke, so you know we got rep. Uh, Moray East Indian. Uh, they make roti. Um, we had a little discussion about who makes the best roti, whether it's East Indian or West Indian. It's all preference. It's all subjective, but it's West Indian. Um, but shout out to another Etobicoke spot, as always. I uh, got a rep for the gang. Took a break off the last one. So, uh, Mori East Indian Roti here in Etobicoke. Uh, yeah. Um, my food shouts. I got two. I got two. I got to represent the Asian gang. So, Boba Cha. Uh, it's on Lakeshore and Port Credit. Really good bubble tea. Lakeshore. One of the few spots that offers non-dairy options, why I love them so much. They got, like, waffles and stuff. And uh, a classic state of mine is Lucas Pizza. Uh, dope pizza. Lucas really pizza. good. I highly recommend Where's it. Where's it at? Where's that at? Uh, Rockwood Mall. Near you? Yeah, yeah, right here. Oh, that's the block. Okay. I actually just thought of another one that we got to give a shout out to. One I recommended for you guys because you guys just came back from Costa Rica. The taco joint. Tell me those tacos were fire. So fire. Oh, my God. Service was a little questionable at first, but we we broke them down a little bit. Wait forever for your tacos, but when you get your spot, you... Keep it for like two and hours and just keep ordering tacos. And they have uh, Jenga you can play right there. We did a... like five rounds of tacos. Oh, it was Easy. Vibes. You finish eating, you're like, another one. Another, another, another DJ one. DJ Just like, oh man, it's the taco. <laughs> Matt, another. What did you guys have? The shrimp? Uh, Shrimp, chicken, I had the steak. What did you have? I had the fish and shrimp twice. Yeah, man. The food in Costa Rica was amazing, by the way. It was a real thick boy thing. Like Panama, we already knew, but Costa Rica, I was amazed by their culinary prowess, like it was asking him, like every, we didn't have a bad meal in Costa Rica. It was, yeah. it was amazing. Culinary wise, the best trip of my life. Like yeah, yeah. every meal, margaritas I with every meal. Yeah, every place I went to, that steakhouse we went to where I didn't expect all that, like, you know, and another thing, because they're only open till nine, like a lot of places were still kind of like empty. So they were like really happy that we were coming in. Like one, one steakhouse, we were like their only uh, customers that looked like all night. And like the service was amazing. People were very like grateful for the support. So yeah. Yeah, you guys had a hell of a trip. It really was. It really nice was. Best, I, I could, like I said, I, I keep holding back, but it might have been the best trip I've ever taken. Like, it's, you think back about a lot of trips, and it's like, you know, when it's fresh, you may think that off top, but it's like, as I think back now, it's like, that might have been probably. Uh, we got to get back to Panama City. I want to fight. Yeah, August, man. August. Hopefully, uh, UCC is doing a show in August, so hopefully our guy gets on. Hopefully, they can have a crowd. Yeah. Well, Matt, you've had quite a martial arts journey yourself, traveled all over the world. Muay Thai expert. Tell us a bit about yourself that. You know, our viewers don't know. Uh, so Matt Ian, um, been doing martial arts since I was three years old. I started off with karate, like most of us. Um, 
did that. Uh, I was not a particularly athletic kid. I mean, uh, I was very overweight. I looked like the Buddha on the Thick Boy logo. Literally. We're doing a picture. <laughs> we're going to post that today. And, um, you know, I like grew up watching anime and Ninja Turtles. I just wanted to be that. And uh, did karate for a long time. I sucked at it. I improved. I started getting in shape. Um, got really sick, as you guys know. So I had a liver transplant. And when I went back to the dojo, everyone had kid gloves. No one wanted to hit me because no one wants to be that guy. But... I wanted to train for real, and that's kind of how I started at a black belt already. So then I went into Muay Thai because uh, I wanted to test myself. Um, and then, like, it was hard to get a fight in Canada because of my medicals. So I just, like, fuck it, like, went all the way to Thailand. And You just wanted to get kicked in the liver that bad. Yeah, they have no yeah. problem killing you over there. Yeah. It's like, he's sick, whatever. Literally, like, where does it hurt? I want to hit you there. <laughs> that's where we go. Good place to fight. Yeah, yeah, I saw that fight, man. You looked fantastic in that fight. I look back on that fight, and uh, it was a brawl, man. Like, I, I really wanted to be, like, more technical, you know? I, like, I'm happy I won. It was an interesting fight. But uh, looking at, like, that was five years ago. Looking at the fighter I am now, it, I guess we all feel that way about our old fights. Everyone thinks you know? their first fight's going to be, like, all, like, I'm George St. Pierre. Like, and then it's, yeah, it is what yeah. it is. It's because it's not, it's not the same under the lights. No matter what you do no. in practice, your first fight is going to be hard to match that so but like i said it was a good fight from what i watched when you when you did it yeah see way worse brawling in muay thai than that like. definitely full muay thai rules six ounce gloves no gear yeah, interesting elbows, first fight. yeah man that's a that's a big one especially when nobody here wants to fight you because of your man coach like i want to go do the most dangerous in, in a country where if i <laughs> if i die like <laughs> you know me that's my motto always we've do all the seen most. kickboxer people literally die in the ring in thailand yeah man what does that mean to you you know what i mean because like Martial arts. It's funny. So one of my coaches always asked me, he's like, why do you want to fight? Like, you have all these issues. Um, and it took me a long time to answer that question. I think um, I think it had to do a little bit with, like, I wanted to prove myself. Um, I didn't believe myself. I grew up being bullied, being overweight. Um, I knew I was talented at martial arts, but, like, was it a real fight in the gym kind of thing? And we were in a dojo. It was kind of traditional karate, which is more like self-defense. It wasn't really, like, a fight. Um, and to go to Thailand, you know, two liver transplants or one liver transplant later at that point, um, to win a fight, to, you know, be 21 overseas for, you know, four months, do a whole training camp. Uh, it proved to me that like, you can do anything. Cause when I had my transplant, they told me I would never fight. Uh, they told me like, I should reconsider my career. Like a lot of people have been through what I've been through on disability. Um, and through martial arts, like I was just able to, to prove like, it's all mental. Like there's always a reason not to, but you can use that same reason to be why you have to. And that's that's what I did, right? Um, you said your first liver transplant. So my first liver transplant, yeah. yeah. two. Yeah, I had two. In case you're wondering how bad a first one is. What happened to your second one, man? Um, so originally, I had uh, I have a rare liver disease. I think it's one in 100,000. Those numbers might be slightly skewed, called uh, primary sclerosing cholangitis, or PSE. Uh, so what happens is your immune system attacks your bile ducts. So the bile ducts in your liver ultimately scar and destroys your liver. Typically a slow-progressing disease. Um, so most on average you get diagnosed and within 10 years, there's no cure, but it's a transplant, right? Uh, for me from like when I was diagnosed to being transplanted was like less than a year. One of the most aggressive cases they've seen. Um, after my first transplant, I was 17, a year after I went to China for 36 days, lived with monks, <laughs> trained out there. Cause, uh, being faced with your mortality is the best wake up call you could ever have. Amen. Man. Yeah. Best wake up call. Um, to live your life like. Do what you want to do. Yeah. All my friends are like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do in university. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to live. So. <laughs> yeah, life's fleeting. You, yeah. you learned that early. At a young age, you learned that. 
And uh, I've lived an incredible life because of that. Like it, it sucked going through it. It's difficult. Even the health issues I have now, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like I'm the person that I am and I've lived an incredible life. I've met awesome people. I've traveled the world. Um, lived in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I lived in Japan for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> I, I call that a vacation, but a quarter of me lived there. I lived in Central America, according to Matt. So I'm going to use that. Now that, according to your yeah, metric, I'm in, using that. I lived in Rio, Brazil. Yeah, we're yeah, using that. I like that. Then. It's how you become more interesting. I like that. You're stuff. like no, I'm not commercial. joking. That's a dope standard you have. I was like, that's all it takes. Is you just sit there like somewhere. that and just with the beer and just yeah. tell about all your adventures. I was so like hyped when he said that. He's like, I lived in Japan. I was like, oh, tell me. Like, How long were we there? And he like gave me this look like two weeks. I was like, that's a vacation. I don't. I've lived a lot of places. If that's the. I lived in Europe. I lived in Central America. Like, I don't think that counts. I'm just trying to be the most interesting man. You world. weren't. You, you said I was the first person to ask you that. Oh, well, you're pretty up there. Yeah. How'd you get your second liver then? And why? what happened with uh, that? So my first liver, uh, they told me I didn't have enough time to wait for a deceased donor, which is usually a, a thing. Um. Because, you know, one in three people waiting for an organ will die. Or every three days someone dies waiting for an organ transplant. And the wow. issue is not there's not enough organs. It's that there's not enough people that are aware of the issue that have registered to donate to organs. Um, luckily for me, my dad was a match. He's one of the oldest living donors. I think there's someone older than him. Um, but super lucky. And it was actually supposed to be my first day of my senior year of high school. It was wow. September 7th, uh, 2010. This was my first day of high school. It was the first day I was eligible to do my G2 driver's test because I wanted to do that. Uh, and I had like my failing liver removed and a piece of my dad's healthy one put in its place, um, which worked out really well. I was doing great in the hospital. It looked like I was going to break the record for the quickest discharge. Um, and then I had like major rejection. So I almost lost the graft because the, the liver is foreign to me. So your immune system can attack that. Um, so I ended up staying in the hospital a little bit longer. Uh, eventually got re-diagnosed with the same disease because it's a disease that can reoccur. And wow. at the time, it was the quickest reoccurrence, like, medically recorded. Um, but upon explantation, they realized, like, that first rejection really caused a lot of damage. So that was why I needed, you know, so a few years later, I had another transplant. And things have been smooth since. Like, I've been able to fight. You know, I've been able to coach high-level guys like you, hold pads, like, travel, like, live the life. So um, all in all, it's, it's a good story. Like, you go through hard times so you can have... The best of times. Amen, man. And like m training and doing martial arts probably helped you so much focus on how to recover and how to come back from something like that, you know? Because it's not even just a process of recovery. It's like a process of discovery when you get injured. Like, I mean, Tyson had knee surgery, so it's nothing in comparison not the same. to you. Yeah, it's but not like, the same. We, you kind of get that feeling of being like, fuck, helpless. You well, know? you learn. If, you, if you're you know? smart, you learn from it. If you want to continue, at least, right? I know you yeah. know tons of guys who won injury and... Even though I haven't competed since I stayed healthy, I know a lot of you in the test, guys get one yeah. injury and they kind of mentally yeah. tell themselves that's it. And I never kind of bought into that. And I can only and, imagine and going through what you went through. a example of that. Yeah, literally. <clears throat> literally, you know? And we, uh, we got mad respect for you because of that. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's, it's been a journey. And like, like I said, I would never trade it for anything. I learned a lot. And like, it really feels like God's plan. It really feels like... I've, because of it, I've had like all, every kind of body type. I've been almost 190. I've been down to 115. So I've been very obese. I've been very skinny. Yeah, I used to be like hella lifters. I used to be like Jack. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> I've had all these body types. And like as a coach, like you can't buy that kind of experimental knowledge, like to know what it's like to be fat, to know what it's like to be skinny, to know what right. it's like That's to true. be. Uh, unhealthy but like muscular muscular and, yeah, like you know and having that awareness and like knowing what it's like to be in that body i guess to an extent like i can't change my height and stuff i think it makes me a way better coach i can see that yeah you're right that's a good point like 
to actually know what it's like to be overweight and like it's one thing to say like you gain some weight but like yeah you're right like we're gonna post the picture when i say this is literally what matt looked like you're gonna nobody's gonna believe it looking at this interview but when you see this picture like people never know who it is when i'm like oh this is matt and they don't know who they're looking at yeah like, and then when they see it so like we're gonna post the picture it's it's hilarious how long have you been coaching now um, I mean, I taught karate like the kids. So like, if you count that, like I did that for about two years and then we all met at the UFC gym yeah. and that was my, my first real coaching job, which was crazy. Like shout out to Martin Peru who gave me a shot. Like shout I remember out to Martin Peru, professor. he, uh, professor. he gave me a call and he's like, I just got back from Thailand. Dennis, who you guys had in your podcast was my first Muay Thai coach. Oh, and, uh, shout out to the Bosnian yeah. menace. The, bo the Bosnian freaks. menace. Yeah. Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> And um, he just took a chance on me. I guess he saw something in me. I was like, look, I'm not a, like, I fought once. Like, I don't know if I can coach. He's like, I've seen you. I believe in you. Because I applied to the gym as a kid's coach. And they just, like, gave me the Muay Thai program. And I remember when I started teaching Muay Thai, there was, like, two people in my class. I would show up sometimes, and there'd be no students that showed up. And then eventually becoming, like, the most popular class, like, having to turn people away, having classes of 40 people in that tiny mat space. Um, it's been a crazy journey. I think I've branded myself well. I created Koi Fit out of that. And and through that, like, I believe that I got to where I'm at because of martial arts. Like, I say martial arts saved my life in, like, physical altercations and, like, in a mental and spiritual way as well and going through illness. And I created this empowering, inspiring movement, which is what Koi Fit's all about, right? And I think that's what makes a good coach. Like, most of us that will do martial arts are not fighters. Yeah, facts. I tell it to guys all the time, yeah. coaches, young coaches, like understand it, gym owners. <clears throat> when you learn that as a gym owner, you realize like, okay, you have to, because like I said, you never know that person that goes in just for fitness and then becomes a fighter. Like when I went to the gym for the first time, I did not think I was gonna be a fighter. I literally went in to lose weight. I know that sounds funny. I went to a boxing gym and that's literally how it started. And just having the right coaches around you, I'm like, I'm sure you can attest to having guys who now wanna fight that you probably never thought they'd want to. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. If you understand that, you'll, you'll actually get fighters that way as well. I think almost all around, a lot of people go to martial arts for a lot of different reasons, but I think it's to seek empowerment. There's some reason in your life where you don't feel powerful enough or you feel a lack of power, a lack of, of aliveness. There, there's a lack of, and I think that's why people seek out martial arts, right? That, that old school, like, who I want to grow up to be, that sensei with that long white beard. Um, You're going to be him, Confucius <laughs> guy. <laughs> you went from Buddha to Confucius. Yeah. Like, we're going to do a side-by-side -side of both. But, like, you guys train people. Like, you see it. People come to martial arts because they walk with their head down. They curl their shoulders. They, they don't feel satisfied with what they're capable of. They feel down on themselves. And but through martial arts, like, it, it teaches accountability. It teaches to, to accept where you are and love the process. Like, that never-ending journey. So I always use the analogy chasing sunsets. So it's something my first sensei said to me. He's like... In the pursuit of the horizon, by pursuing something unachievable, my potential becomes limitless. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, kind of, we've been saying this a lot with what's going on. Is like humans aren't meant to be too comfortable, and I think comfort is what has caused a lot of this weird depression with people who, you know, people in other parts of the world think you have everything, but I, I really believe that we seek resistance. And I, I've said before, yes. you're the one who said this. Like, the reason a lot of martial arts have the views they do about what's going on in the world is because we seek knowledge and yeah. truth. And for a lot of people, they don't have that, and they're seeking it in the wrong place. I think that's where a lot of our issues are coming from politically, socially, is that we, we're too so comfortable. We need something to give our it's life hard, meaning. It's, it's hard that's for right us to almost believe. even convey what martial arts has done for us. Because we yeah, each have I our own yeah. journey, but like it's literally saved all three of our lives in different, Facts, yeah. in different totally. ways. You know what I mean? And, then, and to me, 
when when you get to do martial arts like you get so empowered you get so you go i can't believe i do these things that i never thought i'd be able to do yeah. with people and you also get humbled you get unbelievably humbled you, you have get, no choice you but have, to you be get, humbled you get yeah. you get beat and then you get both feelings and you get like a spectrum and you get a better perspective of yourself and you continue that kind of pursuit. Of yeah, I think you, that's who you really are and what your potential could be. Yeah, you you know, especially when we were at the USC gym, you saw people, you know, they, whether they had a good job, they were in school, nothing, but they, like you said, there was this lack of meaning they felt in their life. And I've always said that's why, I mean, look how big jiu-jitsu's gotten now. Who would have thought that like 40, 50 year old lawyers would want to do jiu-jitsu for the first time in their life? Women, we, uh, you know, shout out to our girl Joanna a world champion in her 40s. Like, these are, like, who would ever thought yeah, that these would be know, the type of people? Think about lawyers that have come to us and after training and doing jiu-jitsu want to be, like, they're lacking this, like, wanting to test themselves. And it's, yeah. I think it has to do with, uh, there is no real initiation in today's culture. You know Huge. What I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and you need that. You We're need trying that to take almost away to standard. be yeah. disconnected, you know, literally from the boy or the girl from your, from your maternal links. Like, you need to go through an initiation process that's, like, that challenges you, that cause, gives you conflict. And I think we're missing that. And you can kind of seek that. And well, having a goal. Arts. We've taken, yeah. like, society's now gotten so used to trying to make, we've become an enabling society. This year has proved that more than anything. We're more concerned about enabling than responsibility. People are way more concerned with their rights than their responsibility. And martial arts gives you a standard where you don't, and obviously in certain martial arts it's changed, but you don't get to just be, call yourself a black belt, right, in jiu-jitsu. This is why I think jiu-jitsu got so popular because a lot of other martial arts became an enabling type of martial art. Yeah, sure. You become a black, black belt at 11. That's not happening in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I got to give you a shout-out to my guy, Brendan. We're going to have him on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was just training with him, and, and he was saying, like, somebody asked me for, for a belt promotion, and he was like, literally, like, like in his Brazilian accent, like, don't fucking ask me for a belt. Like, telling me, like, that's what he's thinking because... You don't ask for a belt. Yeah, you get it when you deserve it, and it's the journey. And you could take four years, five years, six years till you get me. And you belt. see the difference you in certain places. Earn it, you know yeah, I mean? here in Canada, Absolutely. and I love Canada, but like one thing I've noticed is that is a way bigger deal here is your belt than your skill. I've seen more issues in the four years I've been here about that than the 15 years I was in a place that has tons of USC fighters in Kansas City. Like, you don't ask for those type of things because, like, it's, it's I've never seen so many gyms and, and, and jiu jitsu coaches go through. The madness you see here in Canada. I think it's that enabling idea yeah, that I've been doing this this long. I should be a blue belt. Well, no, you're not good enough. You didn't. Yeah, the show respect up enough, the like. respect is earned on the mat, and you get and through that that those are the kind of lessons that you can put on into your life because that is an initiation process, and that's what people are kind of lacking. No so, matter what kind of success they gain. So like, I have a question because like obviously we do jujitsu. You know, for you obviously much higher belt, but you've done both karate and muay thai there is no now people make jokes about whether or not you're, you can have a belt in muay thai like, I, like there's jokes about like brazilians they call themselves black belts but overall muay thai isn't that type of thing where literally you're only going to get your respect by, by skill set you don't get to walk a room and call yourself a black belt in muay thai i've seen guys get respect in jiu-jitsu based off their belt rank and then you roll with them it's like mm, you're not you're not that rank you know what i mean like what's it like going from karate where like i said you were black belt how old in karate uh, I had to be, so for my school, we had to have a high school diploma. We had to write a written test, write an essay, and pass like a physical exam. So yeah. we had to be 18 to get a black belt. But even then, the idea that just being 18, what it was it like to then go into Muay Thai where like, nobody gave a fuck how long you've been doing it. They didn't care what, you, yeah. like you're going to yeah. prove it on the map. Like, that's a great basis. And it shows another a level of martial arts, what it can do for people, like in that yeah. context of karate. But yeah, like what was it like? Because next, You know, into the next level on your journey when you got ready for Muay Thai where 
your karate belt, black belt didn't mean anything. And you go into places like Taiwan, where guys are like literally trying to knock themselves out. It's true. Inspiring. Like, Muay Thai is, you know what I mean? Like, that, because that's the only way you actually get your respect. Nobody cares. Those are the foreigners. The Thai long. guys play. Because they fight Good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, More of the Europeans that are trying to kill each other. Yeah. Yeah, the Russian guys. It's always yeah. like when I see a Russian guy at a Thai camp, I'm like, I'm going to watch you. Or the Dutch. They try to kill each other. The Dutch kickboxers. They try to kill each other. Um, but what's that like to see the difference of where, okay, as long as I have these things, I would get to be a black belt, and then where this is, I could be doing this 10 years. If you come and kick my ass at one year, you're, you're, you already were more respected in the gym in Muay Thai. Like, what's the, what, what is that like? I learned real quick that it's, it's a cultural thing, and it's much more in the West. And then, so you look at the history of where a black belt came from. I believe my terminology went wrong. I get hit in the head a lot. But it's the Meiji Restoration. So what's happening is martial arts was getting bastardized. Uh, in Japan. So guys would like, I'd go to a city over and be like, Bon, teach me something. And then I'd go back to my school, a city over and be like, I'm a black belt and I'll teach the class he taught me. And so martial arts was getting watered down. I didn't know that. And they were like, nah, this can't fly. <laughs> so they started giving black belts to only legit people. Um, so it was like a, a sort of diploma being like, you are qualified to teach. But if you're not fighting, the thing is, especially in the West, like that constant instant gratification culture, people are not going to train unless they get a reward. Exactly. And, and, it's just it's the reality right if you're what are you training for are you training for a fight are you training because you most people will not just train because they love it as they I'm need getting, as I'm getting a short-term older, goal the reward is the training 100 percent. but yes. we're fighters as I'm getting older, it's always been that training, if you, you do know? it right that's you why know? i don't it's care like, about it's a belt. celebration yeah. of what your body can do and i just feel you feel so alive you know what i mean when but it's really the one percent if i'm running a business and i have bills to pay i can't expect 50 boyons to pay my bills there's not 50 guys that think like that so i have to give them short-term goals that are achievable for them to focus on that so I can keep my doors open, keep my lights on. Uh, it's such a weird balance you have to have. Like, people give me crap about uh, when I was in Panama because I was wearing the white belt. And uh, it was like, I don't care. Like, can we just roll? Yeah, like, like mm. people get out oh, in the picture. It's like, yeah, but like, you can see whatever you want in a picture. When we roll, that your belt is not going to save you. Like, you having that promo belt is not going to save you when, once we... But people give me crap about uh, taking the picture in the white belt because I'm not white. It's like, I, but it's, it was the only gi there. I'm not going to be like, I can't wear this in a picture. Like, it's so... It's like, what's that like for you now that you're teaching Muay Thai? Like, because now we've, we've had this conversation about finding a way to kind of give people rewards in Muay Thai without watering it down. Like, what's that been like trying to find that balance? Um, so it's interesting, and I've been doing a lot more private training. The balance is... It creates a curriculum, right? So one-on-one -on -one coaching, I can look at your strengths, I can look at your build, and I can teach you different things. But at the end of the day, if I'm teaching 40 hours a week, I better have a curriculum. Amen. I better be able to, and it, it allows me to separate the class, right? I, I can't, like some of the drills that we run, I can't have my beginners that have been training for a year Obviously, do that, right? Yeah, so, but if I can go, uh, I know a, a gym in Calgary, they do patches. So there's different color yeah, patches. Yeah, we were talking about the patches or the shorts. So I can be like, everyone with a purple patch and up, you're on this side of the gym. I teach the, the lower version that's simpler here. And then I teach an alternate, more complicated version here. And then all the, the black shorts or whatever. It, it allows me to separate the class so I can teach all levels at once. Or And, and, and people's feelings the, get hurt, yeah, right? I can't be like, you're a beginner and your best friend, like you're the intermediate class. His feelings get hurt. But if it's like, oh, you haven't passed the test, like it's more acceptable. Amen. It's really um, a business strategy more than a martial arts strategy, in my mind. Um, and it keeps people interested. Well, I think you've been doing an awesome job. So um, tell people before we wrap it up where they can uh, get a hold of you, your, your website, your Instagram, um, you know, any content you have out there, like where people can find yeah, more about yourself, Matt Iron. Plug yourself, plug yourself, man. Do your uh, thing, brother. So Instagram's probably the best place. So Koi Fish Profit. Um, I have a Koi.fit page as well. 
Um, that's the best place to reach me, doing small group training as well as one-on-ones. Uh, we post technique videos, which you guys are helping me with, and uh, that's the best place to reach me. Awesome. Well, guys, um, we're, we're happy to be back. Uh, me and Matt, we're gone for a while. Um, shout Glad out to, to have you back. Top he's the, he's the for best it down. we got, so yes, don't yeah. take him away. <laughs> I know, we took everything. Right? I'm taking Just away so you guys soon. know, like, he's, he's, he comes prepared to hold pads. He's got yeah, everything. He holds the body it down shield, for us, yeah. I think we even made him a calf shield. Like he holds, he's a fantastic pad holder, and like I just gotta let that be. Known. So yeah, guys, we're back at it. Um, we got tanks dropping soon. Um, they'll be coming out. Shout out to the Mobile. gloves, which gloves are coming, are coming soon. soon. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, we've been dealing with some stuff. They're coming from India, and everyone knows that's a mess right now. But uh, gloves. And we got two other drops coming that I'm not gonna say anything about yet until we actually get the samples. But super exciting stuff coming from Thick Boy. But be on the lookout for the tanks and the uh, gloves. I'm uh, Tyson the Beast. Balkan Boy. Quite fish profit, Matt. Thick gang, it's gonna be a thick boy summer. Yep.